You're listening to Voice Acting Mastery, episode number 102. Welcome to the Voice Acting Mastery podcast with Crispin Freeman. VoiceActingMastery.com is your place to learn both the skills and the mindset you need to become a professional voice actor, even if you're just getting started. In each episode of this podcast, you'll discover valuable tips, tricks, and insider information to help you portray characters in animation, video games, and beyond. And now here's your host, voice actor Crispin Freeman. Hi there. My name is Crispin Freeman, and I'll be your guide through the world of voice acting. If you'd like to know more about me, feel free to check out my personal website at www.crispinfreeman.com. Welcome to the second part of my interview with my personal voice acting mentor, the amazing Richard Horvitz. Richard has worked on many famous animated shows, including Angry Beavers, Invader Zim, and The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. Richard is also a teacher of voice acting, and offers both classes and private coaching through his website at richardhorvitz.com. In the first part of our interview, Richard talked extensively about the importance of playing pretend when it comes to acting. He gave numerous examples of how we sometimes get in our own way when trying to portray a character believably. His examples and exercises were incredibly insightful and practical. In this episode, Richard shares with us his five-step process on how to play pretend more fully. Not only are these five steps what he uses in his own acting, but they also form the backbone of what he teaches his students as well. Afterwards, Richard shares with us some of the challenges he faced early in his career. It seems that almost every actor has experienced what one could call the dark night of the soul. It's that time in your life where everything seems bleak and hopeless, even though you're doing your best to pursue a successful career. I'm very grateful to Richard for sharing with us his own struggles and how he overcame them. I think you'll find his journey very inspiring. We kick off this part of our conversation with Richard's patented catchphrase for improving one's acting. When you know why you say what you say, then you're informed and it allows you to play. I find it brilliant. And now, the feature segment. When you know why you say what you say, then you're informed and it allows you to play. When you have a reason for everything you say, there is no overplaying, there is no underplaying. You're just talking. If I asked you, how did you drive here today? What would you say? Well, I <coughs> uh, had to get to, I was on the west side, so mm -hmm. I had to take uh, side streets to get to the 405, go over the Sepulveda Pass, took the 101, got off on Van Nuys, took more side streets to get to where you are. Good. In order to tell me that, by the way, I believe you. Mm -hmm. In order to tell me that, did you have to first feel the day? Did you have to feel the leather of your, of your car? In your blue car, my car's blue, and, the, and it, I smell the leather, and it was a hot, sticky day. I turned the... You didn't have to do that. No. Because it happened to you. Mm -hmm. That's our job, is to make our imagination, which is a muscle, mm -hmm. believe that it happens. I'll give you a perfect example of how all you have to do is think about your situation and not... Practice how you say something. How you say something is never as important as why you say something. Right. So I never practice the words. The words will be there. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you a perfect example. Um, let's assume 
and I know this not to be true for you because I know you personally, but let's pretend you've been laid on a bill. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's very funny. Okay. Yeah. You're laid on a bill and you're so late that one day the phone rings and it says collections on the caller ID. Right. You immediately go, immediately, without even thinking, you go, crap. That's MasterCard. They're going to ask me when I can make my payment. They're, they're going to ask me, can I send it today? Can I wire the money? When can I pay it? They're going to raise my interest rates. They're going to cancel my card. They're going to ruin my credit. They're going to report me to TRW. All that happens within a, a, an iota of a second. Yeah. And then by the time that you, your mind has done that, without you even programming it, we call mm -hmm. it spiraling, mm -hmm. we pick up that phone and we're going to answer it in one or two ways usually. Hello? Yeah, I lost my job. Yeah, I know I'm late. I don't know. I'll try to pay it on Friday. Yeah, thanks. Bye. Or, hello? Yeah, I know I'm late. Yeah, I lost my job. I, I don't know. I can try to pay it by Friday. Okay, thanks. Bye. We didn't practice how we said that. No. We never practice how we say things. But the imagination spirals. In our primary reality... We call it spiraling, and we don't want to spiral. Mm -hmm. We want to not freak out. But in our secondary reality, we want to spiral. Yeah, in the secondary reality of telling the story. In telling the story, we want to spiral. You know, we don't walk around in our secondary realities because that's the clinical, you know, diagnosis of psychosis. But in that secondary reality, we want to ask ourselves all the questions we can think of, all the things we can think of. Let the imagination go. Mm -hmm. Whether it's written there or not, you have enough information given what the writer has given you to have an answer for every question. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to talk to you about that notion of what it takes to enter that secondary reality because you have that five-step process that you like mm -hmm. to talk about. Would you be willing to share that sure. with my sure. listeners? Yeah, I'll give you a broad overview of it. Um, it's something that I've, I've correlated with the things I was taught by Diana Castle and I kind of structured it down to five steps. The first is the I am, and we've spoken about that. I am the person in the story. It is happening to me right now. Not him, not her, not she, not they, not we. Uh, well, it could be we, uh, but it's not something outside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. The minute we, res we relate to that as them, her, it, she, the, we the are character, the character. Yeah, the character is something separate from us. Right, it's something separate from us. We are on the outside trying to throw, you know, clay over our sculpture. Yeah. And then we never fully submit to the second step, which is a willingness to play pretend enter a secondary reality. We think we have a willingness to play pretend all the time, but I'll give you examples of when we don't have a willingness to play pretend. When there's something in the breakdown, oh, it's 40 to 80 years old. Well, I'm not 40 to 80 years old. Well, I'm not Spanish. I'm not British. I'm not Middle Eastern. I'm not, I'm not, but I'll give it a try anyway. Mm. We do that to ourselves all the time. But then there's a slash mark on there, a willingness to play pretend slash enter a secondary reality. In order to enter a secondary reality, you have to go over every single sentence you say and really have a reason to say it. Even if you, most of the time we take the words we say for granted. Mm -hmm. uh, so if I say um, exactly what I just did with the Baskin Robbins thing, indulge in $2 soft serve mini parfaits, only at Baskin Robbins. I say to myself, who am I talking to? Mm -hmm. What? It's not just the audience. I want to talk to one person. Who am I talking to? Mm -hmm. So I use the word indulge. And I do that with every sentence. If I say, 
We can't just stay here. We have to move on. It begs the question, stay where? I have to look further in the story. Mm-hmm. So the way I proceed after this step two. A that, that's to all play, the step two, willingness to play step pretend. Mm-hmm. Step three is have fun. When people think, oh, that's easy. Yet most people try to plan their fun when they go to work. Right? Right. It's not fun when you're trying to book the job. Our job is not to book the job. Our job, by definition, according to me, is my job is to play pretend and play pretend fully. Mm -hmm. That is the full definition of what I do. What do you do for a living? I play pretend and I play pretend fully. Mm -hmm. We're afraid to say that because people go, well, where did you study? Or what what restaurant are you waiting tables in? And all those things that make us feel that we have to justify (laughs) our existence by how much we've studied and how much we've worked. And I went through this. I went through a very... Uh, insecure period of my life during that time where your voice doesn't sound like you look, where I hadn't worked on camera in quite a while. And people would say, well, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm an actor. I do voiceover because I had to justify it. I had to immediately let them know I'm not just someone who says they're an actor. That I've, I've you know, gotten into check since working the five steps. But so this have fun, step three, is it's not fun when you're trying to book a job when you're trying to impress someone, when they're not laughing at everything you're doing, when you're worried you're gonna lose an agent, when you're worried you're never gonna get an agent. I mean, so many things don't make it fun, but then we're gonna go and have fun. So people think they can plan their fun by how they read their lines. But then you don't get the reaction you expected because you planned your read. And now suddenly your fun's out the window. You go out with friends, right? And you have a great time. You have a bottle of wine, you're telling jokes, it's so much fun. Oh, we're laughing and it's, oh my gosh, we've closed down the place. They're trying to close up now. We better get out of here. We say goodnight in the parking lot. We don't say to our, our, our uh, spouses or whoever we're with, oh my gosh, when I said that one joke, did you see how much they laughed? I'm going to remember that next time we go out so I can do that line exactly that way. No, we're just present and we're laughing. Yeah. When I go into a, a room to play, that's exactly what I'm doing. As my mentor said, just because you don't book the job, doesn't mean you didn't get the part. Just because you don't book the job doesn't mean you didn't get the part. This is how I would play if I were playing on the playground right now. This is my take on Superman. So when you say didn't get the part, it means that you... No, just because you don't book the job, meaning you didn't get paid. uh, You were not the one they chose. Right. It doesn't mean that you don't understand the It doesn't mean... It's not even that you didn't understand. It's just... it, It means that if you play pretend... You had, you had a willingness to play pretend. You entered a secondary reality. I accepted that I am Superman. I had fun doing it. Uh, step four, what do I want? Mm-hmm. In every single story we're handed, we want something and we say it. You can find one sentence that you can hang your hat on that works like what I call the Chinese fortune cookie game. You remember when you used to get a Chinese fortune cookie and it would say, you will have great success. And you would put on the end, in bed or mm-hmm. between the sheets. Right. You can do that with one sentence that you can pull out and put at the end of everything you say. And if you only had one take and all you did was say everything based on that one want that you found and the things you say, you would have a healthy take every time. Mm-hmm. The thing that correlates to that is just because you've done the audition doesn't mean it's done. Just because you get the callback doesn't mean it's done. Just because you book the job doesn't mean it's done. Just because you get seven seasons out of it doesn't mean it's done. 
Just because the show gets canceled doesn't mean it's done. Because if you create this character, this character will continue to grow. And if you watch any of my episodes of any of my shows, Daggett and Angry Beavers changed over and over again in the run of that show. I went, I turned into Bob Hope at one point. I, uh, I turned into Jack Lemon at one point because the character continues to grow. Mm-hmm. That, that's why you'll notice if you ever watch reunion shows, the show I loved growing up was Get Smart. Okay. Um, and so they would do these reunion shows and I would be just so depressed because this is what, this is, this is sticky. This is not what I remember. Yeah. And that is because they go off the air for 30 years and then they come back and they try to pick up exactly where they left off. Meaning that their characters as humans did not evolve with the times. They did not change. They did not allow themselves to grow. So they try to pick it up just exactly as they did it 30 years earlier. Mm -hmm. But our sensibility as viewers have changed. Their sensibilities as people in their worlds would logically change as well. Yeah. So they're... Oh, step five, sorry. Step five, yes. After, what do I want? Step five, be specific. Who, what, where, when, why, how? Where's our proximity? Who has to be real in order for me to play pretend? If I talk to someone or about someone... If I talk about an event or I'm going to an event, I have to have spent time thinking about it. But so often, all we think about is ourselves. We want to do well. You are either out to impress or express. Neither is right. Neither is wrong. You just have to know which one you are. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be an expresser, then you're going to think about your story. You're going to break it down. You're going to be content with right where you are right now in your life, in this moment, in this story. If you're out to impress, then it's all about being what we call celebrities. Uh, who do I have to know? Who do I have to meet? Where do I have to go? People spend 98% of their time doing what I call the business of doing business, meaning they, they find what agents they need to do, what opportunities, and then they show up after they get these opportunities and go, oh my gosh, I have a general at, at, at Disney. What do I do? I'm like, oh, well, wait a minute. You said you're an actor, a voiceover artist. I mean, now you're going to worry about that? <laughs> <laughs> so it's so clear to me that this, these ideas and these ways that you approach acting are so much a part of you and um, they, they seem to come with such facility. Uh, it may make think, people think that you are somehow just born with this mm. or that you, know, no. you just sort of understand this, but they don't understand the mileage you had to get to yes. get to this point. That's a very good question because that, that's a very good question. And I will share my personal story of how I got to this way of thinking. And that is um, when I was in the, when it was the 1980s, when a lot of your listeners may not have even been born yet. <laughs> Or were very young. Zygotes. Zygotes. Um, I had a thriving on-camera film career. and um, But the only parts I was being offered was the, the role of the nerd. The nerd. And so one day I made the grand comment and declaration to my agents, I will no longer be considering the role of the nerd. I want to be Pacino. I want to be De Niro. I want these real meaty roles. And my agent said, uh, okay, what do you think happened to my opportunities when I made that comment? Well, they went out the window because that you were fighting against how people saw Perceived you. Perceived me, right. Yeah. Because I had no real 
like strong sense of self at that moment in my life, at that time in my life. I thought I did because I justified my sense of well-being based on the money and the fame that I had at that time. Mm -hmm. So that makes us think we're successful. But really inside, there was a part of me going, why does everyone look at me as the nerd? I'm still that kid in high school that's ashamed, embarrassed, and geeky, and in the corner, and feeling ugly, and 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 and, and outca- outcast, right? Mm-hmm. So my, I, my opportunities dried up. I wasn't getting any opportunities. I was going on auditions, and going up on lines, and getting depressed, and thinking I had stage fright, and I couldn't do this. I've been doing this for years. Suddenly, I couldn't. So one of my dearest friends in the world by the name of Patrick Richwood said to me, I know what you need, and that is to go see this woman, Diana Castle. But I'll warn you, she is not like any acting teacher you've ever known because it's not about acting. It's about being a human being. I I had no comprehension of what he was saying. Mm -hmm. So in my arrogance, I went, okay, I've been in acting classes. All right, I'll go to an acting class. Yeah, what are they going to teach me that I don't already know? Mm -hmm. So I meet with Diana privately, and the very first time I meet with her, she gives me a monologue. Just go ahead. You work on that for a little bit. She comes back in the room and I do it. And I hit the jokes and I punch the lines and I, you know, I gave it, you know, the, the old Neil Simon take on everything. Mm. And she looked at me and she said, boy, you're so product oriented. I'm like, what? She said, well, you know how you, you're so practiced at saying the lines because you know, that's the joke and you know, that's supposed to be the funny part. And you know, that's supposed to be where you're supposed to act dramatic. You're really good at that. You, you, you're, you're fooling all of us really well. Yeah, you're, you were very facile. Very facile. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Because I went to defensiveness mm-hmm. first and foremost. And she said to me, you came to me because you were tired of being the nerd. And she, so, she said, so what is that you do? You get the part of the nerd and what do you do? Do you, do you button your shirt up and to the top and put a bow tie on and flood your pants and hike them up and wear your belt really high and grease your hair to the side and part it on the side and you crack your voice? And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's pretty much exactly what I do. And she said, it's interesting to me that you get this story and you immediately just scratch the surf and say, oh, I'm the nerd. Instead of looking at it as, I'm a person that exists in this make-believe world where I feel really uncomfortable going out to places where there are women, where I feel insecure, I feel inadequate. I, I don't want to put myself through that because it's too painful. I would rather sit at home with my friends that I feel safe with playing role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons where I can, uh, I can indulge my imagination and I feel safe with them. And that's my group of support. And I'm like, wow. She goes, yeah, that's called a human being. But if you only say, I'm the nerd, that's all we're ever going to get is this cliche, shticky guy. It's like those cheap Halloween costumes that right. are just a little mask and a piece exactly, of plastic. Exactly, exactly. My, my saying was you could just hang me on a prop truck, take me down and, po- and pose me the way you want me. Um, and that was, that was a, a real aha moment where I had an epiphany. It was just a perception shift of a degree, not even a full degree. Like, oh yeah, a human being. Um, what I say in voiceover, the perfect example of how we do that in voiceover, what I used to do with the nerd, is that we'll get a side and it'll say, the doctor. And so 99.9% of people are going to go and they're going to say this. Well, Crispin, we looked at your test results and we're not sure what we're seeing, but we want you to go home and relax and, uh, well, try not to worry. We'll talk on Monday. Okay? That's the doctor. Right. 
So if I said to you, Crispin, if you'd chosen not to go into anime and voiceover and animation and, and, and mythology and writing and all those things, could you have, you had the brains if you had the, in the, the notion, could you have gone to undergrad school and then to pre-med? Yeah, sure. And after you went through pre-med, could you have then applied to medical school? Mm-hmm. Now, after medical school, could you have gone into a residency at a hospital? Yep. And then after your residency, could you have taken the uh, Hippocratic Oath and become a doctor that day and then take on your internship? Yep. On that day, would you have suddenly started talking like this? <laughs> no. So why do we do it as we see these characters that says doctor? Mm-hmm. Um, I, all my doctors I talk to are like, geez, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what that thing is. I've never seen a rash like that. Well, I don't know. Let's put some cream on it and call me on Monday. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But we forget that because mm-hmm. we think we have to create our idea of the doctor, yeah. just like the idea of the nerd. So I started living these steps with Diane. I started working day and day. And, I, and she would put us on one scene in a play and sometimes I would be on that one scene for six months and I would get frustrated I'll never forget it was Modigliani I did it over and over and she would say well what about this did you think that did you think that it was called mining mining it for more yeah I'm like no I didn't she goes take it home think about it some more and it was really frustrating and I remember the first day I went I had an audition and I went out there and I went, okay, I've got, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out there, I'm going to use all these steps and I'm going to give it a shot and I'm going to go. And I went and I had this audition and I just fell on my ass and I was miserable and depressed and angry and I came back to class that night and I'm up on the stage and I'm like just pissy. And she looks at me and she goes, what's your problem? And I said, this is bullshit. Can I say BS on this yeah, show again? Sure. This is bullshit. This doesn't work. I did this. I did this. Oh, so you did everything and you didn't get the job. You didn't book the job. So you're going to throw away everything that you've been working on. What you've been working on for the last six months, it's all going to be for nothing because you didn't get hired to do the job. I literally broke down on stage. I cried. Like we've all done an acting class. We've all cried, right? But I mean, not, not on stage for effect, but really just because we don't feel like we're enough. And that was another eye opener. This is a lifelong process. This is just a lifelong thing. You know, everyone's always waiting to arrive. Now I've made it. But you never really arrive. Because if once you get to some place of fame and acclaim, what happens the year you don't work? Were you this and now you're that? There, you physically, you know, you know, you cannot go backwards. There's no going backwards. We're constantly moving forwards. Life and time is not linear. We want to make it linear because we have a tendency to only mark our lives by the big things that happen to us. Uh Oh, that's the year I got Invader Zim, or that's the year I did Psychonauts, or that's the year blah, blah, blah. But really, it's all the little things in between that you look back and suddenly you're voiceover veteran. And that's weird because that's really what makes a career. Not the big things. Those help. Yeah. But it's all the work. It's the work. And these five steps and the way I think and the way it's so facile to me is because I've spent time thinking about it. People don't spend time thinking about their sides when they get their auditions. They immediately go to the mic and they start doing the the role as they're reading it. They start doing it out loud. They start thinking, what voice am I going to use? Oh, I'll find it on the mic. And so then you get what I call a Franken take. 
You get a little from take one and a little from take 80 and a little from take 13. And oh my gosh, I don't know where, what take that was from. Oh no, was it this one? And now I've taken what should have taken me five minutes because I did my homework away from the mic. Uh I've now spent an hour or an hour and a half trying to put together what I think is the one they're looking for. It's, 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 it'll kill you. Wow. Yeah. During your uh, acting career, when did you have this sort of epiphany with Diana Castle? Was it uh, before or during your time with Sandy Schnarr or? You know, um, voiceover was only something that I had just dipped a toe into at the time I met Diana Castle. Okay. Once I started working with Diana week after week, um, I then started to, you know, the more you, the, so a law of nature, which is one of the things Diana taught, which there are laws of nature. One of them is anything you spend a lot of time thinking about, which we've talked about before, Mm -hmm. anything you spend a lot of time thinking about becomes important to you. Right. I didn't make that up. She didn't make that up. It's a law of nature. Mm -hmm. We think it's coincidental that we want to buy a house in this neighborhood. And then suddenly we have, you know, the money for that house. And oh my gosh, there's a house that's available right now. It's Kismet. It's meant to be. No, those houses were always there. You just weren't paying attention to them at that time. Mm-hmm. This way of thinking was always there for me. I just didn't pay attention to it because I was paying attention to money, fame, um, money and fame and impressing. I was an impressor. Mm-hmm. With Diana, I shifted my perception to being an expresser, mm-hmm. being okay with what I was working with and having fun at it at this time, which is why I continue to do 99C theater and enter secondary realities and play pretend as much as I can. Mm-hmm. I ask people all the time, do you enter secondary realities on a daily basis? Meaning you do without even trying. That's the imagination on its own working like the phone rings we talked about. Mm-hmm. But actually sitting there with your story without it being about getting a job, without it about being making money, without it about it being getting an agent, but actually about it being, I just want to play pretend. I want to enter that secondary reality. And I do it with plays all the time. I'll take a scene from a play that I'm reading and I will work on that scene. I'm not even necessarily reading for that. But as Diane used to say, if you can do that with Shakespeare and then I give you a Wrigley Spearmint chewing gum commercial, that's going to be easy. It's going to be facile. That's how you get your facileness and your flexibility that you were speaking of. For me, it is part of me because I use the five steps in everything I do in life. Right. Not just the work. Yeah. So you were you using that mindset during those first five years when you were trying to break into animation? I was learning, you were learning those it. five steps. Okay. Um, the Angry Beavers was my first real breakthrough series. Um that was the first, you know, that, that was, that was an interesting one because that was like the big project in town for, for a couple of years. Everybody and his brother had read for it. They had cast it and recast it. And I was going to be like the second go around. And so I went in and I dubbed over the original Daggett, which I think was Kevin Meany. Mm-hmm. And, um, I hear nothing from it. And about a year later, they said, Sandy said to me, I've got an audition for you. It's for the Angry Beavers. I'm like, what? I, what do you mean? I had to go through the audition process all over again to book the same character. Yeah. You hear this all the time where, you know, Bob Bergen or will tell you that he had, has to audition for Porky Pig every time it comes out again. And then they try to say, we're going to go with someone else. And inevitably they go with the same 
They go with Joe Lasky. They go with Bob Bergen, you yeah. know, the usual group, Billy West. Um, but I started using it on Angry Beavers. And if, you, if people ask me, because it's the same question we get all the time, I'm sure you've gotten this a million times at conventions, which is your favorite character? Mm-hmm. For me, I can't answer that because all of them are part of what I was going through as I was playing in that situation at that mm-hmm. time. Um, but I will say the one that's closest to my own personality is probably Daggett from the Angry Beavers because of that time going through the I am enough mm-hmm. thing that I just let the story come out as it came out without thinking I had to make it so funny. Yeah, there were things like the, <laughs> all that stuff, but those came out as we were playing. Right. So you feel that by the time you had booked Daggett on Angry Beavers, you had internalized a lot of yes. the lessons that Diana... I'm still internalizing. Right. I, I'm still living it day to day. I still struggle with a lot of things. I had an on-camera audition uh, not two days ago, and I realized I wasn't behind a mic. And when you're behind a mic, it's it's the world is easy to create because... You're just on your own. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you're wearing and how you're standing and all that. But suddenly I was being put on tape for producers. And suddenly I had a feeling of being out of my body and not present, not grounded. My want became doing well. It's like your internal critic took over. Absolutely. And said, oh, wait a minute. Now I have to somehow What took over was my I am not enough. Right. That's what took over. Yeah. That's why it's step one. I guarantee anybody that any issue that they have with any of their opportunities to play pretend, if they feel it was wonky or it was not fun or it wasn't, one of the five steps is out of check, if not more. And mm-hmm. I can guarantee you I can find that, that one of those five steps in like a matter of 30 seconds of you telling me what happened. Interesting. Yeah. Fascinating. Richard's five steps are incredibly valuable, and I constantly use them myself when I'm portraying characters. It's amazing how helpful these steps can be when it comes to unlocking one's creativity and giving oneself permission to play pretend fully as a character. However, a tool is only as effective as the person using it. Richard's five steps are not just a simple formula that one can mindlessly implement and expect to crank out a good acting result. As with any craft, it takes diligent practice to truly internalize the power of these steps and to apply them with skill and sensitivity. Any professional athlete will tell you that just because they've hit the major leagues, it doesn't mean that they don't keep practicing the basics. Any acting technique is simply a regimen for working one's acting muscles. It's up to you to actually practice and develop those acting muscles in yourself. How do you build up good acting ability? As Richard says, by taking every opportunity you can to drop into a secondary reality and play pretend. Participate in classes, audition for projects, or initiate your own projects. Find or create situations where you can practice entering into secondary realities. The more you practice, the stronger your acting skills will become. Then you'll be strong enough and experienced enough to handle the most challenging voice acting situations. In the next and final part of our interview, Richard shares with us what inspired him to become an actor in the first place. He also explains when it's okay to be picky when it comes to the kind of voiceover work you choose to do. You'll also discover in the next episode 
that Richard and I both admire the same character from a famous animated series of the late 60s, early 70s. So tune in next time to find out who it is. Until then, I wish you all the best in your voice acting endeavors. Take care. You've been listening to the Voice Acting Mastery Podcast with Crispin Freeman. To get your free report revealing the five most common mistakes to avoid in voice acting, point your web browser to www.freevoiceactinggift.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.